Well, it's nice to be here, and we trust that the Lord will help us as we read from his word and consider it together uh, tonight. Now, I want to read from 2 Corinthians, please, and chapter 1, the second epistle of Paul to the Corinthians and chapter 1. And we read from verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and to Timothy our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia, grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly toward you. For we write none other things unto you than what ye read or acknowledge, and I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end, as also ye have acknowledged us in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus." And in this confidence I was minded to come unto you before that ye might have a second benefit and to pass by you into Macedonia and to come again out of Macedonia unto you and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. When I therefore was thus minded did I use lightness or the things that I purposed do I purpose according to the flesh, that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? But as God is true, our words toward you 
was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ, and hath anointed us, is God, who hath also sealed us, and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul, that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. Now God will bless the reading of his word. This epistle is, of course, as you can see, the second that has been written by Paul to the Christians in Corinth. In the first epistle, he has had to correct them very strongly. There was a man in the, in, the, in the assembly at Corinth, and he shouldn't have been in. He had committed very bad sin, and he had indeed committed moral sin. And uh, because of this, he should have been put away from the assembly. And Paul writes to that, tells them that. So in the first epistle, there's a man in who should have been out. But in the second epistle, we're going to find those of us who will be able to come tomorrow night again will come directly to it then and we'll find that in the second epistle there's a man who is out who should be back in a strange thing that we are sometimes unusual people in a sense in that we sometimes make the big mistake of doing the wrong thing and that certainly happened in Corinth and the man of the first epistle should definitely have been put away and yet in the second epistle, that same man, he had repented, things had changed, and he should have been brought back. Now we'll, be, we'll find it in the second chapter of the book, and we'll be talking about that tomorrow night. Tonight I want us to look how Paul introduces these things, and there's some quite nice things in it. In fact, I want to talk to you particularly tonight about God. I say that's strange, but it's not you're going to find there's a lot of statements here about God. For instance, just look at it with me, if you will. Notice that, as you come to the first epistle, we find in verse 3 these words, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. So there's the first thing we're going to think about tonight. He's the God of comfort. God is a God of comfort. Then, if you look further down, and we'll come back to these things, of course, I'm just showing, indicating what we're going to look at, you will see, if we look now, secondly, as we look at this, we find that in verse 8, it tells us there that, well, we'll just read verse 9, and we'll go back to 8 when we get into it. Look at verse 9. We have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. So he's, so he's not only the God of comfort, he's the God of resurrection. So we'll be able to think about that. There's the second aspect of God. 
And then when we come to verse 12, and through that's the beginning of another section, we are going to find in these verses another interesting thing. We're going to find that in that passage, he is not just only the God of comfort, and he's just not only the God of resurrection, but we're going to find he's the God, in a, in a wonderful way, the God of truth. Let me show you, show you, you'll see it as you look at these verses. You see, they had been questioning him. But in verse 18, if you look at verse 18, we get the statement, as God is true, he's the God of truth. You got that now? So he's the God of comfort, and he's the God of resurrection, and he's the God of truth. And then finally, we're going to find, when we get down a little bit further, and we'll read about these things in, in the closing verses, we'll find he's the God of strength. The God of strength. It's a good thing to think about God. We don't often hear ministry about it. So I want us to think about those things tonight in the midst of all the other things that are in the chapter. And we'll try and not confuse it, but we'll try just to see it simply as it comes out. Paul was writing this letter having been already used of God to send the first epistle, as we have said. And, of course, there had been a good response. We'll find that as we continue. And they had responded to the message that he preached and they had been able to obey many of the things that he told them to do. There's so much in this chapter that we would be here for two or three hours if we went in detail to it, so we're not going to do that. But you'll notice that he's showing that Timothy is with him in verse 1. You see that? In verse 1 it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. And he's sending a greeting to all the saints which are in from... Uh, Achaia, and he's saying grace to you and God peace from God our Father and then he comes to this lovely statement blessed be the God verse 3 blessed be God even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies the God of all comfort and you know it's a wonderful thing to understand that God is a God of comfort we find that in all our tribulation, it tells us in verse, look at verse 4, he comforteth us in all our tribulation. Paul was not, uh, a, he, he was not a, a preacher, you know, that just sat on the front seat and then came up and preached. He, was, he had a lot of difficulties. And he'd been in prison from time to time and everything was difficult for the Apostle Paul. It wasn't easy for him. And yet he had a love for the people of God. And he longed for them. And even though they had been disobedient, and although they had done wrong things, he loved them. In the first epistle that he writes, in chapter 4, you'll find him say, I'm not doing this to, to, to bring you to, to be those who will be chastened. He said, I'm, I love you as children. He loved them. They were his children. He'd seen them saved. It is a true thing, isn't it, that if you see a person get saved, you have special thoughts about them. And you love to think about them. Paul loved those, these Corinthians. And so, this is all the sort of background to it. And you'll see in verse 4, it says, He's the God of, verse 3, the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, 
Paul is saying we've never been in a time when we've had the difficulties around us without God being with us. It's a great thing to remember that. And he's talking about what God is to him. He says, but there's a reason for this. Look at verse 4. He comforted us in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. See, God is not without understanding our needs. And he sees that there are times when he'll bring us through some problem. And it's because he wants to fit us to be enabled to enable to help others when they find difficulties that they're passing through. And so in those early verses, we can see, he says, he said, that we may be able to comfort them who are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. But look at verse 5, he says, as the suffering of Christ abounds in us, when he suffered, hope you're listening to this now, when he suffered, he saw that those sufferings were really from Christ. Christ was doing it for them. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation aboundeth by Christ. And he says, whether we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And he's saying these things to encourage them. Paul is writing a letter of encouragement to them here. And he says, our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that just as you are partaking of the sufferings, so you will be of the consolation. But now I want you to notice something that's very interesting about this matter, where he is the God of uh, comfort. You see, if you look at verse, you'll find it, become, it comes crystallized more now. And you'll see, he speaks about the trouble. Look at verse 8. You can look at verse 8. He says, We would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble. It came to us in Asia. There were days when we were pressed. Do you see it there in verse 8? He says, There are days when we were pressed out of measure. You couldn't measure the pressure that came to him. He says, We were pressed out of measure. And then he says, it, and This is verse 8, And above strength, strength couldn't hold it, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Paul thought, there were times in his life when he, Do you remember on the top of the hill when he was left for dead? They thought he died. And that's, all that is, is, is in connection with what we are thinking about tonight. And he says, we had the sentence. Now that word sentence really in this verse, it means the answer. We had the answer of death in ourselves. That we should not trust in ourselves. He learned, he learned that he had to trust in the God who raises the dead. Paul was so confident that God had raised Christ from the dead. He was so confident of it that he's saying here, he's saying we trusted in a God who can raise the dead. And in fact, although he didn't raise Paul from the dead because he never really died, he got near to it. He got near to it. And God delivered him out of it. And so you can see that he's, sending, he's telling the, the Corinthians what he had passed through. These Corinthians, it seems, at that time, were sitting back and taking things easy. But Paul was not a man like that. 
he was serving God and finding it difficult to do it. But he's trusting in God all the time. And he says, now, but look, if you look at verse 10, there's a very interesting verse here. I want you to see it. Uh, maybe we should see that very... It, let's look at verse 10. He says, God who raises the dead, that's the end of verse 9, he delivered us from so great a death. Now that's past tense, you can see that. He delivered us. That's the past. But look, if you look again at the same verse. And he says, he doth deliver. In other words, the problems are still happening. We're still passing through sufferings. And he's saying he's not only the God who did deliver us, but he says he's a God who doth deliver. Paul was constantly looking to God to guide him and to preserve him in his pathway. Paul was a man who lived near to his God. And then you'll see how that it says in this verse, he delivered us from so great a death, past tense. He doth deliver, present tense. And look what it says now, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Paul knew there were more sufferings. There were more afflictions on the way. And he's going to pass through them. And as he passes through them, it's not easy for him. He's not glorying them. He's not glorying in them. No one glories in suffering. But nevertheless, he was confident that the God who had delivered him and the God who was delivering him is the God who would deliver him again. Three different tenses there. Very interesting, isn't it? And then you'll see, he says here, it says here, ye also, now look at, this is a thing I want to get into you now, and this is something for us that will be practical. Look at it now. He says, in whom, at the end of ten, in whom we trust he will yet deliver us, ye also helping. How can we help God to deliver a man? Well, Paul says, you read it, it says, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust he will yet deliver, ye also helping together by prayer. Prayer for us. And I want to say tonight, I know you come to the, I'm sure you come to the prayer meeting of the assembly. It's a very important meeting. And when we pray, let's remember that we're, you know, there's a sense, you say, how can we help God? Well, I can't answer that question. But the point is this, the Bible says it. And if the Bible says it, we should do it. And we should be praying for others. There are people today in some lands and they're suffering for the cause of Christ. Some are being put to death for it. It's known, it's well documented that there's many of the Lord's people saved by the grace of God in lands that don't enjoy the safety that we have. And because of their faith for Christ. You remember those many years ago in India. I was, I was in, in the country at the very time. And that man, you know, from Australia. And there he was with his boys. And he was putting gospel tracts and preaching the gospel. In a place called Orissa. And you know what they did, these, these, these men against him. They, 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 they put the, the very caravan to fire. And you know, he tried to push his boys out through the windows. And these people all pushed the boys back in. And they all, they died. What, what, what a thing it was for that. You see, brethren and sisters, 
There, there are parts of the world today that are still suffering for Christ. We live fairly comfortable lives when you think of it. And here is, now this is the sort of life that Paul had. Paul had been left for dead, as we said earlier. And you know, the day came when he was in prison. We were speaking up at, uh, further there where we've been over the weekend. And you know, we were speaking about the, the Colossian epistle. And the Colossian epistle was just one letter out of four that he wrote when he was in prison. And on his arm there was a chain. And if you read Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, those are the four writings that he gave while he was in that prison. In every one of them when he were written, the chain was on his arm. And if you read them, you'll find them. You'll find that in every one of those four books... It either speaks of his bonds or his chain. Paul was getting... It wasn't easy for him. Oh, it's easy for us to sit down and pull out the books out and get our message ready. Paul didn't get ready like that. It was not easy for him. It was hard. He was trusting in the God who can raise the dead. You see the idea? And that's what we have here in these remarkable verses. He's the God of comfort... But he's the God of resurrection. That's what we said. He's God, verse 9, who raiseth the dead. And so we have in those verses those remarkable things. But not only that, when we come to verse 12, there's a new section. We've looked at two sections now. And in this one, when we look at verse 12, we find that the apostle is speaking like this. He's saying now, our rejoicing, look at verse 12. We're looking at verse 12. Our rejoicing is this, he says, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, this is what his life was like. He was a sincere man. Not with fleshly wisdom. The, flesh, the, the wisdom of the fleshly world is, is wrong. It's, it's, it's no use to us. It's not going to help us. It's spiritual wisdom that he's talking about. And so he says, in these verses, he says, in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation. Now that word conversation doesn't mean speaking to each other. It really means our manner of life. And he said, we had our manner of life in the world, and more abundantly towards you. For we write no other things on the you than what we read or acknowledge. That's in verse 13. And he's saying, I trust you shall acknowledge. What is he talking about here? Well, I'm going to tell you. He's talking about the God of strength. I want to show you what I mean in a moment. As you go down through this passage, you see, it seems that Paul, I'm, I'm passing over a few verses, and I hope you look at it with me. Look down at verse 16. Well, 15. Verse 15. In this confidence... I was minded, that is, he had it in view, that he would come to them, to come unto you, that you might have a second benefit. Now you know there are parts of the religious world that talk about the second blessing, but this is nothing to do with the second blessing. It was a second benefit. You see, he'd gone to another place, and he'd come through Corinth, and he'd gone away, and then he was going to come back again through Corinth, so they would get a second benefit of his messages and his ministry, he's coming to help them and comfort them and strengthen them. That's what this means when it talks about this second benefit. 
But what I want you to see is this. You see, he had promised to do this. Look at verse 15. I was minded to come unto you before that you might have the second benefit and to pass by you by into Macedonia and to come again out of Macedonia to you and of you to be brought on my way towards Judea. Now listen to what he says in verse 17. When I therefore was thus minded, when I had this in my mind to do, Paul says, did I use, do you think I used lightness? That I was only, I wasn't meaning it, in other words. I didn't really mean what I said. That's what they're, they're saying. And it seems that in Corinth they were doing that. He says, or oh, the things that I purpose, see verse 17 again, the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh, that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay, in other words, yes to no, and less to no? Why, says Paul, but as God is true. You see, this is the third one. He's the God of truth. And he says, as God is true, our word to you was not yea and nay. He said, don't you remember the way I preached to you? Are you listening to this now? Listen, see, see, see what it says here. He says, but as God is true, our word to you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God... Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us. We preach Christ. What he's really saying is this. You don't think when we got to the gospel, like when we have gospel meetings, you know, he had gospel meetings, in a way. And when he preached the gospel, he wasn't saying, now you might get saved, but you may not. I mean, you may not be able to be saved. Oh, no, no, no. He didn't preach like that. He preached. He preached in the fact that the Son of God was preached. Look at verse 10, 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you, even by me, and Silas did it, and Timothy did it. These three men together, they preached. And, and he says here, it wasn't yea and nay, but in him it was yea. In other words, he says, I preached a gospel that I believe with all my heart. You got that now? That's what he's really saying. And he's showing that if God is a God of truth, then he says, I've got to be a preacher of truth. Now listen, when we serve the Lord, we don't come, any one of us, when we talk to the Lord's people even, we, are, we mustn't ever try to say things that were, are, are not real. We've got to bring the people of God back. Sometimes, you see, sometimes in the work of the Lord, and sometimes in our Christian lives, we fail. And we need help. And that help sometimes is not always the help of comfort. Sometimes it's the help of being convicted and being made to realize that we've been wrong in what we've been doing. And that's what we have here. He says, he says in verse number 24, all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, to the glory of God. Paul meant what he preached. That's what it's really. So we've had, we've looked now at the God, first of all, as we've said, the God of comfort, and then the God of truth, and now here we have the God of, the, the, the God of truth, as we've said, and now I want to come to the final one. But it's going to take us time to, to fill up the time. There's quite a bit here to look at yet. I want you to notice that he talks next about the God of of strength, the God of strength. 
He says, for all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen. That's the God of truth. But now come to verse 21. Now look what it says. And it says here, Now he which establisheth, that is, he which strengtheneth us with you in Christ, and hath anointed us, is God. What Paul is doing now in this part of the chapter is this. He's going to show that our God is a God who anoints us. Every one of us, I don't know whether you think about this, but it's very important to, to think about it, that the day that you got saved, you received the Holy Spirit. And that was the anointing. God anointed you with the Holy Spirit. It didn't come in some flames or anything on your head like that. But every person, listen now, every person that gets saved receives the Holy Spirit. Salvation is a marvelous thing when you really think about it. And that's, a, you know, that didn't happen in the Old Testament. There's only one man that you really read in the Old Testament. His name was Bezalel when he was preparing the things to build the tabernacle. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes upon every believer since the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down. And in that house that they were there, that, that house was filled with the Holy Spirit. And they themselves were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And since then, since that day of Pentecost, it, there started what we call a new dispensation. The dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And every believer that receives Christ as Savior is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If we really, if we really believe that, and we really lived in the good of it, it would change our lives. I think sometimes we forget that within your life and in your very body there is a divine person. It's the Holy Spirit. If you believe that, it will govern where you go. It will govern how you speak. And it all comes back to me as well. Don't misunderstand me. I, I'm not just preaching at you. So the thing is here on the other direction. See? But the point is this I'm making is this, that the Spirit of God indwells every believer and that means we should live a holy life. Those things that we look at, the things that we read, the acts that we perform, it's big, this is big stuff. And Paul is saying here, that this is one of the things that God has done to strengthen us. He's given us the person, a divine person dwells within. That's an amazing thing if you think about it. In every believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells. And so the Apostle tells us here, he which establisheth, that is, he which strengtheneth, this is verse 21, he says, he which strengtheneth us, with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God. God does this. This is a work of God. Salvation is a work of God. See, we preach the gospel. I preached it here last night. And many preached it all sorts of places. 
and no doubt in this country, right through the country, and right through the world indeed. And where God and the Spirit of God is working, and the soul comes and repents of their sin, and receives by faith the work of Christ, and rests upon the work that was accomplished at Calvary, the moment that they are saved, receive the Spirit of God. It's a wonderful thing. That's the first thing I want us to notice here about the Holy Spirit. But mark you, there's more than that. Not only are we anointed, but look at verse 22. And we find there's something else that happens when we get saved. And it says, He which establisheth us with you, and hath anointed us is God, who hath also, here it is now, verse 22, who hath also sealed us, sealed us, and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. So not only are we, not only are we anointed, but we are sealed. You can forget the earnest one for a moment. We'll come back to that later. In a moment. That's the third one. Sealed. What does this mean? It means that God has set us aside for himself. You know, uh, Corinth was a seaport. I was born in a seaport in Liverpool there in England. And you know, wherever you have seaports, then there's a lot of a lot of traffic that takes place and sometimes you look at the seaside the, the, uh, on the quay and in those early days you would see these bales of, of whatever was inside them and sometimes if you would go up and examine them you would see the name and you would see the direction where the thing was going and sometimes if, the, if it was very precious cargo sometimes what they did they put a stamp on it and that stamp was the seal. The poet said, Then on each he setteth his own secret sign. Those that have my spirit, these, saith he, are mine. And listen, my brother, my sister, tonight in the meeting, I think we should go out from the meeting with a, dig a feeling of a dignity about us. There's something of dignity in the fact that when God saves us, he cleanses us from our sin. And he expects us to live godly lives. But he sealed us. Not only has he anointed us and filled us with the Spirit, but there is this second thing now. They are sealed. Sealed. And that is the mark of divine ownership. We belong to the Lord. Paul knew this. When he rose on that day, you remember that you remember the day when he was on the Damascus Road. And on that Damascus Road, you remember how that the light shone. In his pocket, there were those letters. He was going to take them. And he had the authority to put the Christians to death. He was against it. I'm quite convinced in my mind that as he began that journey on the road, he was longing to try to defeat the Christians. He was a completely against them. But when he lay on that road and the light shone, you remember when the light shone, what happened? He said, he looked up and the light he could see was from the heaven. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? That was a genuine question. 
to him, he believed that Jehovah was on that throne of God. And if the voice had said, I am Jehovah, he would have been quite happy. And he'd carry on and murder the Christians still. But it didn't say that. You know what it said. When he was on that road that day and he said, Who art thou, Lord? The voice said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And for the first time he realized that Jesus was not hidden away. He believed that he'd been hidden somewhere, as many believed. And many men today would still try to say that. But he believed, at that moment he realized that it was Jesus. He heard the voice of Jesus from the throne of God. That's where he is. No wonder. You know what he said next? I think you know, don't you? You know what he said next? The very next thing he said. He said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? For the first time in his life he called Jesus Lord. That's the reason why he wrote Romans 10 and 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You got it now? Isn't that a wonderful thing? He was not only anointed, he was sealed by the Spirit. And he was, and indeed, that's the wonder of it. But the voice of God had brought to him the fact that Christ was on the throne. It never left him. It led him through all the darkest of the days of his life. That he was belonging now to the Christ of God. Wasn't that a wonderful thing? Those letters never got any further than that. I don't know what he did with them. But of an idea he tore them up somehow. He never tried to use them anyway. He was saved by the grace of God. Wonderful thing to be saved, isn't it? And so we see that Paul is speaking about, he's telling us in these very interesting and importantly doctrinal words and statements here, he says we've been established and we have been anointed. We have been sealed. But now he speaks about something else. Three things here. Look at them again with me, if you will. It's down in verse 21. And he says, Who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit. What does this word earnest mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. I think you probably know. But it really is, it's a promise. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's different to the seal. It's different, but it's, the point is, it's showing... The, the, the amazing change that is going to be taken place, taking place in his life. You see, Mr. Vine, in his nice dictionary, if, if you have a copy of it, you should look at it sometime, and you'll find that he'll tell you there. It's rather like the, the, the it's rather like that ring that is put on the bride's finger when she's married. Today they put it on the man's as well. Well, that's all right, but it. It, the big thing is it's on the, on, the, on, the, on the bride's finger. And on that finger there is, you know, when she looks at that, she knows that's, the, that's the, the actual evidence that she's linked with a man. Do you remember, maybe you remember the, 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 the story way back in the book of Genesis. Do you remember when, the day when the, there was a life, there was a wife being sought. You remember for Isaac. 
And you remember how that down there, eventually the servant who went, eventually he came. And the day time came when he said, he said to, to this woman, wilt thou go with this man? It was, a, it was a sort of unusual marriage, if you like. You know, the, it started all those, all those miles away. And she, she decided to go. You know what happened when, when she did say? You know what he put on? He, he had a bag there. And he took out some garments. And he took out some jewels and things that were representative of the... This wasn't all the wealth that belonged to Abraham and his son Isaac. That wasn't all the wealth. It was an evidence. It was an, an, an advance, if you like. That's what the earnest is. It's an evidence of the future. When, see, when a woman wears an engagement ring, that is showing that she's going to get married. And, but here we have the fact, and what a wonderful thing it is, He's given the earnest of the Spirit. So that the Holy Spirit is there to strengthen me. Can you see the ideas that are in the chapter? The Holy Spirit is in me to strengthen me on the journey home. It's the, it's the Spirit of God. It's anointed me. It's marked me out as belonging to God. It's sealed me. But it's also an evidence of a wonderful future. A wonderful future. And isn't it a blessed thing to know this evening that God, by His grace, has brought us into relationship with Himself. And we have these wonderful promises. And it says, moreover, Paul the Apostle says, in these wonderful verses, he says, He's established us, has strengthened us, He's anointed us, He's sealed us, and given to us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Now, I'm not going to talk to you tonight about the last two verses, because I'm going to talk about them tomorrow night. Because those two last verses really belong to chapter 2. And I hope you'll be able to come, because we're going to look at that. And it's a very interesting chapter. It actually has to do with the sin of chapter 5 in the first epistle, and it's set to do with the same man, the same man who was actually, who actually sinned in a very gross way. We'll be talking about it tomorrow night. And you could look at it if you like in advance. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to see what Paul's advice is in chapter 2 as they deal with this, uh, this problem is being dealt with. Now the man has, he's actually, he's actually confessed his sin and he's admitted that he was wrong, and he's left the, the, the sinful state away. We'll find all of this tomorrow night when we come to it. So that's why I'm not reading those last, last two things. But what I am wanting just to bring, to, to remind you of as we close tonight is, here we have our God, God sitting upon the throne of God. Don't think that he's net all ignorant about you and I. The eye of God is upon us. And he's given us the Holy Spirit. And our blessed Lord is there on the throne. And what a wonderful thing to see. He's the God, what we've learned tonight, he's the God of comfort. 
God who can comfort us. And not only is he a God of comfort, but we have found tonight he's the God of resurrection. He can raise the dead. And then we've noticed that he's the God of strength. And here we've been seeing tonight the wonderful things. He's the God of truth. I'm sorry, I should have said. And then he's the God of strength. We trust that God will bless his word tonight. I always stop when I've finished, and i finish finished tonight. But we trust that the Lord will help us, and we hope you'll come back tomorrow night, and we'll see some very important matters that exist in, the, in this epistle. And so, we'll just leave it at that. Now let us pray. Our God and Father, tonight we thank Thee for the preciousness of the Word of God. We do thank Thee, Lord, for a Saviour who came into this world. We thank Thee, O God, for the way in which he lived. Thy word has said he went about doing good, healing those that were oppressed of the devil, and that God was with him. We thank thee that when they, those men spoke about him and said that he had cast out those demons by Beelzebub, he said, no, it was by the Spirit of God. And we thank thee, our Father, that he was anointed with the Holy Spirit at the at the Jordan River. And we thank thee that his ministry was the ministry of the Spirit of God in him. We bless thee for this. And we thank thee, our Father, tonight for that wonderful life that he lived amongst men. And we bless thee tonight that he's gone back to heaven itself. And now, O oh God, we thank thee for the fact that thou thyself, the God of heaven, has looked down upon us. We thank thee, thou art the God of comfort, comforting us in all our sorrow and need. We thank thee, our Father, not only is he the God of comfort, we thank thee, thou art the God of resurrection. And we bless thee, O God, that thou didst raise him from the dead. He has gone up into the throne, and there he is at God's right hand tonight. We thank thee, he's coming soon. We pray, our God, that our lives may be pleasing to thee until that day shall come. And our Father, too, we do remember that thou art the God of strength. And we thank thee for this today. Thou art the God of truth, rather. We realize, our Father, that these Corinthians were, in, indeed, they were challenging the Apostle Paul and thinking that he was doing one, saying one thing and doing another. But he was living with the God of truth. Help us to be men and women of truth. And we thank thee, too, Lord. He's the God of strength, giving to us O oh God, all the fullness and power of the Spirit of God, anointed, sealed, and now receive the earnest, and one day we'll see him as he is. We pray that thou wilt bless thy word, and remember us as we separate. We give thee our thanks, in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now we'll just, we'll just sing a hymn, and then the meeting is completely over. Verse 424. O Jesus Christ, grow thou in me, and all things else recede. My heart be daily nearer thee, from sin be daily freed. Each day let thy supporting might my weakness still embrace. My darkness vanish in thy light, thy life, my death. He faced. Will someone open to start the meeting? Oh, Jesus Christ, grow thou in me.
Oh!